Chapter 11, Part 2 A History of the Philippines. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nathan Markham. A Scientific Survey of the Coast of the Islands. About 1790, the Philippines were visited by two Spanish frigates, the Descubierta and the Atrevida, under the command of Captain Malaspina. These vessels formed an exploring expedition sent out by the Spanish government to make a hydrographic and astronomic survey of the coasts of Spanish America, the Ladrones, and the Philippines. It was one of those creditable enterprises for the widening of scientific knowledge, which modern governments have successively and with great honor conducted. The expedition charted the Strait of the San Bernardino, the coasts of several of the Bisayan Islands, and Mindanao. One of the scientists of the party was the young botanist Don Antonio Pineda, who died in Ilocos in 1792, but whose studies in the flora of the Philippines thoroughly established his reputation. A monument to his memory was erected near the church in Malat, but it has since suffered from neglect and is now falling in ruins. Establishment of a Permanent Navy in the Philippines the intentions of england in this archipelago were still regarded with suspicion by the spanish government and in seventeen ninety five and seventeen ninety six a strong spanish fleet sent secretly by way of the coast of south america was concentrated in the waters of the philippines under the command of admiral alava its object was the defense of the islands in case of a new war with great britain News of the declaration of war between these two countries reached Manila in March 1797, but though for many months there was anxiety, England made no attempt at reoccupation. These events led, however, to the formation of a permanent naval squadron, with headquarters and naval station at Cavite. Note 1. These little islands have a dense population, but owing to their stormy situation, seem never to have been examined until the visit of the English freebooter Dampier in 1687. End note. The Climax of Moro Piracy The continued presence of the Moros in Mindoro, where they haunted the bays and rivers of both east and west coasts for months at a time, stealing out from this island for attack in every direction, was especially noted by Padre Sufiliga and indicated how feebly the Spaniards repulsed these pirates a hundred years ago. It was the latest severe phase of Malay piracy, when even the strongest merchant ships of England and America dreaded the Straits of Borneo and passed with caution through the China Sea. North Borneo, the Sulu Archipelago, and the southern coasts of Mindanao were the centers from which came these fierce sea wolves, whose cruel exploits have left their many traditions in the American and British merchant navies, just as they periodically appear in the chronicles of the Philippines. Five hundred captives annually seem to have been the spoils taken by these moros in the Philippines islands, and as far south as Batavia and Macasar, captive Filipinos were sold in the slave marts of the Malays. The aged and infirm were inhumanly bartered to the savage tribes of Borneo, who offered them up in their ceremonial sacrifices. The measures of the Spanish government, though constant and expensive, were ineffective. Between 1778 and 1793, a million and a half of pesos were expended on the fleets and expeditions to drive back or punish the moros, but at the end of the century a veritable climax of piracy was attained.
pirates swarmed continually about the coasts of Mindoro, Burias, and Masbate, and even frequented the Esteros of Manila Bay. Some sort of peace seems to have been established with Holo and a friendly commerce was engaged in toward the end of the century, but the Moros of Mindanao and Borneo were unceasing enemies. In 1798 a fleet of 25 Moro bancas passed up the Pacific coast of Luzon and fell upon the isolated towns of Baler, Casiguran, and Palanan, destroying the pueblos and taking 450 captives. The cura of Casiguran was ransomed in Binangonan for the sum of 2,500 pesos. For four years this pirate fleet and its rendezvous on Burias, whence it raided the adjacent coast and the Catanduanes. The Great Wars in America and Europe The English reoccupied Balambangan in 1803, but held the island for only three years, when it was definitely abandoned. For some years, however, the coasts of the Philippines were threatened by English vessels, and there was reflected here in the Far East the tremendous conflicts which were convulsing Europe at this time. The wars which changed Europe at the close of the 18th century, following the French Revolution, form one of the most important and interesting periods of European history, but it is also one of the most difficult periods to judge and describe. We will say of it here only so much as will be sufficient to show the effect upon Spain and so upon the Philippines. The Revolution of the English Colonies in America In 1776 the thirteen English colonies on the Atlantic coast of North America declared their independence of Great Britain. In the unfair treatment of the British king and parliament they had, they believed, just grounds for revolution. For nearly eight years a war continued by which England strove to reduce them again to obedience. But at the end of that time, England, having successively lost two armies of invasion by defeat and capture, made peace with the American colonists and recognized their independence. In 1789, the Americans framed their present constitution and established the United States of America. The French Revolution. Condition of the people in France. In their struggle for independence, the Americans had been aided by France, who hoped through this opportunity to cripple her great colonial rival, England. Between America and France there was close sympathy of political ideas and theories, although in their actual social conditions the two countries were as widely separated as could be. In America the society and government were democratic. All classes were experienced in politics and government. They had behind them the priceless heritage of England's long struggle for free and representative government. There was an abundance of the necessaries of life and nearly complete freedom of opportunity. France, like nearly every other country of continental Europe, was suffering from the obsolete burden of feudalism. The ownership of the land was divided between the aristocracy and the church. The great bulk of the population were serfs bound to the estates, miserably oppressed and suffering from lack of food, and despoiled of almost every blessing which can brighten and dignify human life. The life of the court and of the nobility grew more luxurious, extravagant, and selfish as the economic conditions in France became worse. The king was nearly an absolute monarch. His will was law, and the earlier representative institutions, which in England had developed into the splendid system of parliamentary government, had in France fallen into decay. In other countries of Europe, the German states, Austria, Italy, and Spain, the condition of the people was quite as bad 
probably in some places even worse than it was in France. But it was in France that the revolt broke forth, and it was France which led Europe in a movement for a better and more democratic order. Frenchmen had fought in the armies of America. They had experienced the benefits of a freer society. And it is significant that in the same year, 1789, that saw the founding of the American state of the revolution in France began. It started in a sincere and conservative attempt to remedy the evils under which France was suffering. But the accumulation of injustice and misery was too great to be settled by slow and hesitating measures. The masses, ignorant and bitter with their wrongs, broke from the control of statesmen and reformer, threw themselves upon the established state and church, both equally detestable to them, and tore them to pieces. Both king and queen died by beheading. The nobility were either murdered or expelled. The revolutionary government, if such it could be called, fell into the hands of wicked and terrible leaders, who maintained themselves by murder and terrorism. Effects of the Revolution These are the outward and terrible expressions of the Revolution, which were seized upon by European statesmen, and which have been most dwelt upon by historical writers. But apart from the bloody acts of the years from 1793 to 1795, the Revolution modernized France and brought incalculable gains to the French people. By the seizure of the great estates and their division among the peasantry, the agricultural products of the country were doubled in a single year. And that terrible condition of semi-starvation, which had prevailed for centuries, was ended. The other monarchies of Europe regarded the events in France with horror and alarm. Monarchs felt their own thrones threatened and a coalition of European monarchies was formed to destroy the Republic and to restore the French monarchy in old regime. France found herself invaded by armies upon every frontier. It was then the, the remarkable effects produced by the revolution upon the people of France appeared. With a passionate enthusiasm which was irresistible, the people responded to the call for war. Great armies were enlisted which by an almost uninterrupted series of victories threw back the forces of the Allies. Men rose from obscurity to the command of armies, and there was developed that famous group of commanders, the Marshals of France. Out of this terrible period of warfare there arose, too, another who was, perhaps, if we accept the Macedonian King Alexander, the greatest man ever permitted to lead armies and to rule men, Bonaparte, later the Emperor Napoleon I. France and Europe under Napoleon Bonaparte From 1795, when Bonaparte was given command of the invasion of Italy, until 1815, when he was finally defeated at Waterloo in Belgium, Europe experienced almost continuous war. The genius of Napoleon reduced to the position of vassal states Italy, Switzerland, Holland, Belgium, Germany, and Austria. In all these countries the ancient thrones were humbled, feudalism was swept away and the power of a corrupt church and aristocracy was broken. In spite of the humiliation of national pride, these great benefits to Europe of Napoleon's conquests cannot be overestimated. Wherever Napoleon's power extended, there followed the results of the revolution, a better system of law, the introduction of the liberal code Napoleon, the liberation of the people from the crushing toils of medievalism, and the founding of a better society. These are the debts which Europe owes to the French Revolution. The Decline of Spain Lack of Progress In this advance and progress Spain did not share. The empire of Napoleon was never established in the peninsula. 
in eighteen eleven the spaniards with the assistance of the english under the great general wellington repulsed the armies of the french this victory so gratifying to national pride was perhaps a real loss to spain for the reforms which prevailed in the other parts of europe were never carried out in spain and she remains even yet unliberated from aristocratic and clerical power a liberal constitutional government was however set up in spain in eighteen twelve by the cortes and in eighteen fourteen king ferdinand the seventh aided by the spanish aristocracy and clergy was able to overthrow this representative government and with tyrannical power to cast reforms aside fifty thousand people were imprisoned for their liberal opinions the inquisition was restored the cortes abolished and its acts nullified the effects of these acts upon the philippines will be noticed presently separation of the philippines from mexico the events of these years served to separate the philippines from their long dependency on mexico in eighteen thirteen the cortes decreed the suppression of the subsidized acapulco galleon the mexican trade had long been waning and voyages had become less profitable the last of the galleons left manila in eighteen eleven and returned from acapulco in eighteen fifteen never again to attempt this classical voyage the cessation of these voyages only briefly preceded the complete separation from america from the first period of settlement the philippines had in many respects been a dependency of the new world mexico had until late afforded the only means of communication with the mother country the only land of foreign trade mexican officials frequently administered the government of the islands the mexican indians formed the larger part of the small standing army of the philippines including the regiment of the king as we have seen a large subsidy the situado was annually drawn from the mexican treasury to assist the deficient revenues of the philippines rebellion of the south american countries but the grievances of the spanish-american colonists were very great and very real the revolution which had successfully stirred north america and europe now passed back again to the spanish countries of the new world and between eighteen ten and eighteen twenty five they fought themselves free of spain the last of the colonies from which the spaniards were forced to retire was peru mexico achieved her separation in eighteen twenty spain lost every possession upon the mainland of both americas and the only vestiges of her once vast american empire were the rich islands of the greater antilles cuba and puerto rico limited trade with the philippines the philippines were now forced to communicate by ship directly with spain the route for the next fifty years lay by sailing vessels around the cape of good hope it occupied from four to six months but this route had now become practically a neutral passage its winds and currents were well understood and it was annually followed by greater numbers of vessels of europe england and the united states trade was still limited to the ships of the royal philippine company and this shipping monopoly lasted until eighteen thirty five when a new era in the commercial and industrial life of the philippines opened an english commercial house was established in manila as early as eighteen o nine Volcanic eruptions. The terrible eruptions of Mount Tal, the last of which occurred in 1754, were followed in the next century by the destructive activity of Mount Mayon. In 1814, an indescribable eruption of ashes and lava occurred, and the rich hemp towns around the base of this mountain were destroyed. Father Francisco Aragoneses, cura of Cagsawa, an eyewitness, 
states that 12,000 people perished. In the church of Budiao alone, 200 lay dead. Rebellions in the Philippines The liberal Spanish Cortes Two revolts in the Philippines that occurred at this period are of much importance and show the effect in the Philippines of the political changes in Spain. In 1810, the liberal Spanish Cortes had declared that the kingdoms and provinces of America and Asia are and ought to have been always reputed an integral part of the Spanish monarchy, and for that same, their natives and free inhabitants are equal in rights and privileges to those of the peninsula. This important declaration, which if carried out would have completely revolutionized Spain's colonial policy, was published in the Philippines, and with that remarkable and interesting facility by which such news is spread, even among the least educated classes of Filipinos, this proclamation had been widely disseminated and discussed throughout the islands. It was welcomed by the Filipino with great satisfaction, because he believed it exempted him from the enforced labor of the polos y servicios. These were the unremunerated tasks required of Filipinos for the construction of public works, bridges, roads, churches, and convents. Effect of the Repeal of the Declaration of the Cortes King Ferdinand VII, in May 1814, on his return to power, as we have seen, published the famous decree abolishing constitutional government in Spain and annulling all the acts of the Cortes, including those which aimed to liberalize the government of the colonies. These decrees, when published in the Philippines, appeared to the Filipinos to return them to slavery, and in many places their disaffection turned to rebellion. In Ilocos, twelve hundred men banded together, sacked convents and churches, and destroyed the books and documents of the municipal archives. Their fury seems to have been particularly directed against the petty tyrants of their own race, the cacique, o principales. The result of Spanish civilization in the Philippines had been to educate, and to a certain degree enrich a small class of Filipinos, usually known as distinguidos, or the gente ilustrada. It is this class which has absorbed the direction of municipal and local affairs, and which almost alone of the Filipino population has shared in those benefits and opportunities which civilized life should bring. The vast majority of the population have, unfortunately, fallen or remained in a dependent and almost semi-servile position beneath the principales. In Ilocos, this subordinate class, or dependientes, is known as Cailian, and it was these Cailian who now fell upon their more wealthy masters, burning their houses and destroying their property, and in some instances killing them. The assignment of compulsory labor had been left to the principales in their positions as gobernadorcillos and cabezas de barangay, and these officials had unquestionably abused their power and had drawn upon themselves the vengeance of the Cailian. This revolt, it will be noticed, was primarily directed neither against friars nor Spanish authorities, but against the unfortunate social order which the rule of Spain maintained. A revolt led by Spaniards. A plot with far more serious motives took place in 1823. The official positions in the regiments and provinces had previously been held almost entirely by Spaniards, born in America or the Philippines. The government now attempted to fill these positions with Spaniards from Spain. The officials, deprived of their positions, incited the native troops which they had commanded into a revolt, 
which began in the walled city in Manila. About eight hundred soldiers followed them, and they gained possession of the Cuartel of the King, of the Royal Palace, and of the Cabildo, but they failed to seize the fortress of Santiago. It was not properly a revolt of Filipinos, as the people were not involved and did not rise, but it had its influence in exciting later insurrection. Insurrection on Bohol Since the insurrection on Bohol in 1744, when the natives had killed the Jesuit missionaries, a large part of the island had been practically independent under the leader Dagooy. After the expulsion of the Jesuits, recollects were placed in special charge of those towns along the sea coast, which had remained loyal to Spain. An effort was made to secure the submission of the rebels by the proclamation of a pardon, but the power of the revolt grew rather than declined, until in 1827 it was determined to reduce the rebellion by force. An expedition of 3,200 men was formed in Cebu, and in April 1828 the campaign took place, which resulted in the defeat of the rebels and then settlement in the Christian towns. The new provinces of Benguet and Abra. It is proper to notice also the slow advances of Spanish authority, which began to be made about this time among the heathen tribes of northern Luzon. These fierce and powerful tribes occupy the entire range of the Cordillera Central. Missionary effort in the latter half of the 18th century had succeeded in partly Christianizing the tribes along the river Magat in Nueva Vizcaya, but the fierce head-hunting hillmen remained unsubdued and unchristianized. Between 1823 and 1829, the mission of Pidigan, under an Augustinian friar, Christianized some thousands of the Tinginians of the river Abra. In 1829, an expedition of about 60 soldiers under Don Guillermo Galve penetrated into the cool, elevated plateau of Benguet. The diary of the leader recounts the difficult march up the river Cagaling from Aringay and their delight upon emerging from the jungle and Cogon upon the grassy, pine-timbered slopes of the plateau. They saw little cultivated valleys and small clusters of houses and splendid herds of cattle, carabaos, and horses, which to this day have continued to enrich the people of these mountains. At times they were surrounded by the yelling bands of Igorots, and several times they had to repulse attacks, but they nevertheless succeeded in reaching the beautiful circular depression, now known as the Valley of La Trinidad. The Spaniards saw with enthusiasm the carefully separated and walled fields, growing camotes, taro, and sugarcane. The village of about five hundred houses was partly burned by the Spaniards, as the Igorots continued hostile. The expedition returned to the coast, having suffered only a few wounds. The Comandancia of Benguet was not created until 1846, in which year also Abra was organized as a province. End of chapter 11, part 2